0: Thank you. <clears throat> well, it was fifteen years ago that one of America 's greatest tragedies took place, and when it happened, America was left numb and bewildered weren 't they? We know we were there, many of us that particular week, I would write a booklet on the attack and our church would distribute 5,000 copies of that in our community. I also put a PowerPoint together and, uh, for a rally that we were having and shared it that day. I want to read the dialogue that I wrote 15 years ago concerning that day. It says, The Twin Towers, symbol of America's greatness. But on September the 11th, 2001, it became the site of America's greatest tragedy, as, Americans, uh, as America's airspace was breached, its heart was broken. At 8.45 a.m., American Airlines Flight 11 collided with the North Tower. Just 18 minutes later, United Flight 175 dipped its wings and crashed into the South Tower. Onlookers were left speechless as smoke ascended upward. As debris descended downward and as bodies plummeted to the ground, no degree of consolation could ease the horror that had just been witnessed. The media quickly responded to the attack and noted the horror of this tragic event. Our nation was at war, at war with a ruthless enemy, void of conscience and compassion. Our nation's president sought to bring order to the ensuing chaos while assuring every American that the perpetrators of this d- dastardly deed would be brought to justice. Still this day could only be described as a nightmare, a nightmare of enormous proportion for the molten steel, thick black smoke, The collapsing concrete and loss of life would leave Americans everywhere stunned beyond belief. This day was being described as America's darkest day. It was being compared to such attacks as Pearl Harbor and other such horrific events in our nation's history. Still amid the ashes and the debris came stories of survivors, those that had fled the towers in terror, had escaped in the stairwells of insanity and weathered the storm of terrorism these were americans these were survivors these were our heroes amid the tragedy it appeared that our nation had finally fallen to its knees and looked to god still the casualties mounted the fatalities climbed up into the thousands in spite of it all in spite of it all america stood strong and hope prevailed over fear may this tragedy and that destroyed an american landmark and so devastated a nation not soon be forgotten and may we never forget that life is but a vapor and soon vanisheth away and that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this the judgment let us all learn to trust in god and not in steel or nation or nation or a nation's power may america still stand one nation under god and may it continue to provide freedom life liberty and the pursuit of happiness you know That day brought America to its knees, didn't it? It really did. You know, many kind of hoped that that particular event would awaken the multitudes to the need for God and the need for right in our country. On the onset, the outlook was hopeful too. Men and women everywhere lifted their voices to heaven. God was sought and his power of healing was called upon. It was amazing to watch a nation unafraid to say God unafraid to pray on national TV, unafraid to enlist the help of an almighty God. We were a united nation. We were a nation that was not ashamed to call upon him. But that sentiment was short-lived, wasn't it? Oh, we had hoped. Many had hoped that that would be the rally cry, that it would begin a trend toward God and the things of the Lord some had really believed that it would. Over these past 15 years, however, let's be honest. The nation that I knew no longer exists. I mean in the last 15 years. It has changed that drastically. It is so much different than it was even before 2000. Men and women have changed. Our culture's changed. Our society's different. Our world is different. The rapid rate in which we have declined morally and ethically is mind-boggling. The direction and course that we've pursued has landed us in a deplorable wasteland of divided homes, wrecked lives, and broken dreams. We're morally bankrupt, and we are simply happy. Sadly happy, I should say, to march on without God in our lives, our homes, our society, and in many cases, even our churches. See, there is a demonic agenda at work here. And that demonic agenda continues to direct our media, it continues to fuel our government, and unfortunately, disarm our people. We have been desensitized to sin, we've become tolerant of that which God hates. And we are supportive of those who practice abomination according to the Bible. As a nation, we had a wake-up call. And for a short time, the effects were positive and they were refreshing. But as the event faded into our, in our memories, so did the God that we looked to for help. 2,000 years ago, the God of all the universe, left heaven. And he took his place on this wretched, sinful world, this earth. Born in a manger, a filthy stall, he submitted himself to the very ones he created. There he grew a perfect boy. No sin in his life. He became a man, a man that too was sinless, perfect, righteous, holy. He walked those dusty trails of Galilee and he shared the truths that we now hold and cherish in our hand in the Bible. But it wasn't long that they lifted their voice and said, Crucify! Be done with him! And if you take your Bible and look over the book of Mark, we'll see that they treated him with such disdain, hatred. In Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 16 after a trumped-up charges were laid to his account, after a joke of a trial took place, he'd be led to Golgotha. Notice the Bible says even that the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. They called together the whole band Verse 17, And they clothed him with purple and planted a crown of thorns and put it about his head and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews, they cried. They smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him and bowing their knees worshipped him. When they had mocked him, they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And they bring him unto the place, Gelgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. They gave him a, to drink wine mingled with myrrh, and he received it not. And When they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, and every man, that every, what every man should take. We think back on what Christ endured. We remember what he put up with and what he allowed to take place for us. It wouldn't be but just a few years later after his resurrection that a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus would be traveling along and the Lord Jesus would reveal himself to him. He would ultimately be called Paul the Apostle and he would go on to become the greatest church planner and sole winner of this particular dispensation. What would keep Paul the Apostle going? What would move him and motivate him to resist the temptation, to, com- to compromise, to conform to the world, to ultimately concede victory to Satan? What would keep him on those roads and what would keep him in those towns and what would keep him sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a people who sought his very life? We find the answer in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 through 15. Would you turn there please? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done whether it be good or bad knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men but we are made manifest unto him unto God and i trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us. Because we thus judge that if one died for all. Then we're all dead. And that he died for all. That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves. But unto him which died for them and rose again. What would keep this man going forward? What would cause him to endure the hurt and the heartache, the persecution, the attacks of mankind? What would keep him? Doing the work of God in the midst or the face of such horrors, he puts it simply: the love of Christ. The love of Christ. Notice he says the love of Christ constraineth us. What does it mean to constrain them? It means to compel or force, to urge with irresistible power, or with a power sufficient to produce to produce the effect. Paul, why are you continuing? Why are you going forward for God? Why do you keep allowing yourself to be persecuted? Why do you permit such things to happen? Wouldn't it just be easier to take a seat on the sideline? Wouldn't it be easier just to shut your mouth? The Apostle Paul says, I can't. He loves me too much. And because he loved me, I love him. And that love keeps me going. We're so frustrated with the world whose attention was directed toward the Lord after that awful attack on 9 11. Why in the world can't they see it? What's their problem? But there for a while we bowed our knee. There for a while the media was even willing and glad to show prayer on the television set. They didn't take direction off of that. They put it on that. And we as a nation came together. Why is it the world can't see it? Why can't they do what they used to do? Why is it we've forgotten? What about you and I who are saved? What about us who are the byproduct of a tragic death and glorious resurrection? What about you and I who name the name of Christ and claim to be blood bought children of the King? Are we guilty of forgetting? Not about 911, but about the love of a Savior who died on a cross to pay for our sins who endured the heartache, who endured the horrors of crucifixion so that we could enjoy the pleasure of heaven and the person of Christ every day of our life. Are we guilty of losing sight of that great sacrifice and forgetting the cost of our salvation? John 3.16 says, For God so loved love the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that love spoken of in john 3:16 was bestowed upon you and i in a very personal way god may love the world and he does but not all the world is saved and forgiven God indeed loves the world, but only those who believe in Him are truly His children. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. How does that love compel and urge you today? How does it affect your life today? You say, I was saved 20 years ago. I was saved five years ago. I was saved 50 years ago. Does it still compel you? Does it still motivate you? Does it still move you? On September the 11th, 2001, I remember where I was when I got the news. Many of you probably remember where you were when you got that news. And I still remember at some point leaving the office and going over to my mom's house because she had a big screen TV and she had cable. Her and my dad, I think, had cable at that point. And I thought, I want to see what's going on. And I remember going over there and seeing this take place and, of course, uh, uh, the the second tower was it just been hit. It left an indelible impression on my mind. I remember thinking, will this be enough? It wasn't, was it? But I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday when I start thinking about it. Every time I go to an airport, that event affects my life. Every time I go to a ball game, that, effect, that, that, that event affects my life now. Policies and procedures were all changed and things were put in place because... Our government said they were going to protect us now. My life has never been the same since that day. And truthfully, yours hasn't either. But an even greater event took place in my life. One that changed me not only on the outside, but one that changed me on the inside. The day that I came to the Lord Jesus Christ and put my total faith and trust in Him and His finished work. And boy, the Bible doesn't just say that I put my faith in Him, but all of a sudden the Bible says I was regenerated. I was made a new creature. I became a new person. The Bible says that I have a new man in me, a new nature. I don't just have that old nature that desires to sin and to follow after Satan, but I have a new nature that has a desire to follow after God and right. But every once in a while, I must be honest with you, I forget about that love. I get caught up in my life and I get caught up in my activity. I get caught up in my mind and my desires and my lust and my wants and my needs. And I forget about that love that was shown to me 2,000 years ago on that cross that made possible this new creature that lives I wonder today, is that love enough to keep you in the word of God and in the house of God? Well, it's easy to look at the world and we say, what in the world happened to them? Huh. When those towers came down, they were on their knees. When those towers came down, they were, they were looking to God. And When those towers came down, it changed their focus. Those ingrates. What about us? We're the people of God. He's not just our God. He's our Father. Paul said the love of Christ constraineth us. Is that love enough to keep you in the word of God and in the house of God? Is that love enough to keep you from sin? To keep you from sin? Is that love enough to keep you faithfully serving the Lord? Is that love enough to keep you ever praying and dependent upon God? How does the love of Christ affect your life today? How does it make a difference in your daily routine and activities? That event in 2001 changed the lives of Americans in one sense forever. But in many cases, it only tickled their spiritual side for a short time. But what about us? We are His children. We're his people. How does it affect us every day when we look back on that event 2,000 years ago? May God help us to never forget. Never forget what he did for us. Never forget it. And the next time we choose to go about our life in self-will, desire, or lust. When we say, I'm going to do things my way. When we are going to sing the song, I did it my way. May we remember that event 2,000 years ago. And the love that he showed us and extended to us. And may it constrain us. May it, as the Apostle Paul said, compel us and force us to change our direction. May it urge us with irresistible power to submit to His Word and authority. May it literally produce the effect that God would have it produce in our life. A separated, consecrated life unto Him. Father, we come to you.